I'm Shaharazani, and in the news, a recent poll among college students with a strong sense of Jewish identity indicating Jews feel unsafe on college campuses today. The academic year has begun, and sadly, as we've seen all too often in the past, we look onto U.S. college campuses with uncertainty, wary of signs of intimidation and anti-Semitism against Jewish and pro-Israel students. The poll mentioned above was conducted by the Louis D. Brandeis Center, an independent nonprofit organization established to advance the civil and human rights of the Jewish people and promote justice for all. The LDB Center conducts research, education, and advocacy to combat the research of anti-Semitism on college and university campuses. According to the poll, 65% of openly Jewish college students have felt unsafe on campus, with 50% of them have actively hid their Jewish identity. As a result, these students are learning, according to the poll, that in order to avoid anti-Semitism, they must view their religion as something to hide, not celebrate. In fact, the survey indicates that the longer those students stay on campus, the less safe they feel. With me to discuss these troubling findings and more is Kenneth Marcus, founder and chairman of the Louis D. Brandeis Center for Human Rights Under Law. A few words of introduction about our esteemed guest. Kenneth Marcus is founder and chairman of the Louis D. Brandeis Center for Human Rights Under Law. He is a former assistant to U.S. Secretary of Education for Civil Rights and the author of The Definition of Anti-Semitism and Jewish Identity and Civil Rights in America. He also serves as visiting research professor of political science at Yeshiva University, a member of the editorial board of the Journal of Contemporary Anti-Semitism, and chairs the executive committee of the Federalist Society for Law and Public Policy Civil Rights Practice Group. During his public service career, Marcus has also served as staff director at the United States Commission on Civil Rights and was delegated the authority of Assistant U.S. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development for fair housing and equal opportunity. He has widely published in academic journals as well as in the more popular venues such as Newsweek, The Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and so much more. Ken, it's such a pleasure to have you with us today on JBS. Thank you for joining us. Very good to be here, thank you. So first of all, I wanted to ask you a few words about the poll itself. We've seen polls come and go on anti-Semitism. First of all, what makes this one unique and what are its main findings? So I'll tell you what made it unique when we first had the idea about it um, uh, and then what made it unique uh, in practice. I mean, initially the thought was there have been polls of Jewish college students, but not really specifically looking at Jewish students who are active and involved. You have lots of Jewish college students who happen to be Jewish, but they're not involved in anything Jewish, and they're not aware of what's happening on campus. They may think that there are no incidents involving um, discrimination against Jewish students uh, who wear kippahs because they themselves uh, don't wear a kippah and don't know anybody uh, who wears a kippah. They might think that uh, it's okay uh, to be actively Jewish and you don't face discrimination because they're not actively Jewish themselves and they don't know what it's like. So we wanted to go to those students who are uh, not just uh, coincidentally Jewish or Jewish by happenstance, but who are sufficiently proud of their Jewish identity that they're really involved. So we went to 
uh, members of Jewish uh, fraternities and sororities, specifically AE Pi and AE Phi, because we know that these students are making a statement just by being part of the fraternity, but also because these are students who also are involved in, in Hillel and Chabad and pro-Jewish organizations and so on and so forth. And we wanted to know uh, what it was like for them. And, and because of that, we were especially appalled, not only that they, that they said uh, that they had felt unsafe on campus uh, during the last, uh, during the last uh, semester, uh, but also, um, and, and there was two thirds of them saying that, but also that half of them said that they had felt they needed to hide their Jewish identity. And this was especially concerning because these were the students who are most um, out front about their Jewish identity. The sort of students who are happy to tell anybody who asks, where do you live on campus? Their Jewish identity becomes an issue because they have to say, I live in, in a Jewish fraternity or sorority. So when these students said that they felt uh, so much hostility as Jews that they had to feel, uh, hide their identity, that was uh, especially concerning and alarming. And it was especially concerning given some of the context that we hadn't necessarily known would happen. So first, this was during COVID, which means that many of the campuses were closed. So lots of bias incidents weren't happening because people weren't face to face. And yet the amount uh, of, uh, of, of prejudice against Jew Jews was just astonishing. And moreover, this was the academic year when universities were paying closer attention to bias incidents than perhaps ever before because of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. There were huge new programs dealing with diversity, equity, and inclusion. This should have been a, a year when, when this sort of thing was really addressed. And, and if anything, things were getting worse. So the, the, the context was unique and the results were uh, much worse than they should have been and then we might have anticipated. You know, you know Ken, you're mentioning the, uh, the students, but the, the, this is the first time that such a poll is actually conducted, not just with a general population of students, not just with Jewish students, but specifically, as you say, with Jewish who are actively Jewish on campus and actively pro-Israel and their identity is out there. You're also mentioning the fact that it was a COVID year without on-campus occurrences, but sadly, we all remember the Zoom bombing of a couple of months ago at Hunter College in New York, where Jewish students claimed that they were hiding Jewish symbols around them in the actual video. Video chat. So we were not spared even in the course of that terrible year. That's right. When uh, the campuses went online, anti-Semitism went online with it. And as students in some cases were uh, quarantined or otherwise limited, there was a coarsening. There was a worsening of uh, the discourse. Uh, people were just generally uh, meaner to one another in general, and especially towards Jewish students. Moreover, in those campuses where students were uh, permitted uh, onto the campus or into the dorms, uh, there, were, there were an enormous number of um, uh, personal face-to-face uh, -face interactions that were rather ugly. Right. You know, um, last week on September 30th, you published an op-ed in the Washington Post. One of the most um, fascinating things that I loved reading 
in your essay was how you take incidents of anti-Semitism that took place in the course of the last year and you actually ask people, so where do we stand now? And you push for a solution because what happens usually, unfortunately, is that we have a headline for a day or two, it's rampant on social media, and then everybody forgets about it and moves on. Specifically, you relate to something that happened at Johns Hopkins University. So please, for the sake of our viewers, please share with us what happened there and what's missing from the overall university's response, in your opinion. Well, Johns Hopkins is a great university, and so I was uh, rather saddened to see uh, an incident there. It had not been uh, historically one of the universities where we found lots of trouble, uh, and yet there um, we were hearing about a number of incidents, but the worst was one involving a teaching assistant um, who uh, taunted her Jewish students, uh, among other things. Uh, she put out tweets on social media um, saying um, that uh, uh, if you have to grade a Zionist student's exam, uh, do you still give them all their points even though uh, they support your ethnic cleansing? And in a variety of other messaging, uh, she was uh, suggesting uh, that for her chemistry graduate students, she would downgrade them uh, based on the fact that they might be Jewish or Zionist or support Israel, which to us wasn't just about whether she actually was going to downgrade Jewish students, which of course would be uh, a, a considerable offense both to the Jewish students and to uh, higher education. But also the fact that she was apparently using this as an opportunity to taunt uh, the Jewish community and to encourage her followers within Johns Hopkins on social media to join in taunting uh, the, uh, the Jewish students, uh, and it seems to have worked in the sense that the overwhelming majority of the people who responded to a poll that she set up on social media said that she should downgrade Zionist students, that if students uh, went on birthright or otherwise involved in the Jewish community, she should downgrade them. This was something that we thought required not only addressing uh, whether this particular TA was violating uh, the, the conduct code at Johns Hopkins, but also how did this great university get to this point? What's happening to the climate on campus where this would be done? And not just that this TA would do it, but that others would join with her and that 80% would say that Jewish students should be uh, downgraded uh, for being uh, Jewish or, or, or supporting uh, Israel. This is uh, what we wanted Johns Hopkins to respond to. And I know that other groups did as well. Stand with us, join uh, with us in, uh, in writing to uh, the university. Several other uh, Jewish organizations uh, urge them to take action. This has been a major issue. And that's why I was so concerned to find out why are you not doing more? And what did they do? in response to uh, what the TA did. What did they do and, and what more should they do? Like, because again, you hear about the, the storm. I specifically remember that incident as well. And it's amazing to hear that the majority of the followers actually agreed with her. It's really saddening to see. What, what did they actually do to the TA? Well, you know, in response to finally the Washington Post op-ed, they finally issued a, a statement which strongly uh, opposes anti-Semitism, uh, which is good, although uh, not enough and, and certainly too late. They say that privacy law prevents them from saying publicly whether they have punished the TA or not. Um, and they aren't entirely wrong about that. There are privacy laws. So if they have taken disciplinary action against the TA, there may be legal reasons why they can't go into that in public. But 
they certainly can talk about the steps that they've taken to address the underlying problem, if they have done that. And it appears that they aren't. At any rate, they're not talking about it. There's no privacy law that says that you can't talk about the uh, uh, the messages that you've sent out, the policies and procedures that you put into place, uh, the initiatives that you put on, the training, the education, the way in which you've dealt with the underlying problem. There's no privacy law that can't talk about it. And, and, if, they, and if they hide behind the privacy laws, it may be because they're not doing it. And the fear is that when she in her tweets mentioned somebody who had a sticker of Tel Aviv on her laptop, I think it would be immensely important for Jewish students who are targeted by that TA or Zionist student for that matter to know that, you know, their pain matters, that something has been done with regards to the, to the person who targeted them in such a public way. So what was done publicly and for that we are so thankful for the work that you have been doing in leading the charge on college campuses and beyond. It's our kids. You can just imagine the feeling of a student who comes into a classroom knowing that their grade is dependent on them hiding who they are and where they come from. Absolutely, absolutely. And this is exactly the sort of situation that builds up so that when you want to know why is it that even the most Jewishly involved students at our Jewish fraternities and sororities feel they need to hide their identity sometimes. Well, this is what happens when you don't hide your identity. Here's the, here's the message that you're getting even from places like Johns Hopkins, that if you make your identity known, you will face prejudice even from the instructors and that the instructors will get away with it unless they're extremely public about that. How many TAs, how many professors are downgrading Jewish students who are thinking about it and just know not to put it onto Twitter when they do that? What a scary thought. Um, you know, in, the, in your piece itself, you also make a, 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 mo a notion that Jewish billionaire Mike Bloomberg pledged billions of dollars in donation to Johns Hopkins. We know that there are other Jewish major donors and other donors, not just major donors, who give money across the board to various universities as, uh, as their alumni. And the question is, are these donors, are they part of the, could they be part of the solution to this? Or is this part of the pro problem? How do you view those donors or in general donations to campuses and the role that these could play in the fight against anti-Semitism? Sure, that's a, that's a good question. And as you know, my point about Bloomberg was simply that President Daniels at Johns Hopkins has done extremely well for the university. Thanks to Michael Bloomberg, he has brought in a tremendous amount of resources for Hopkins, which I think will help that university to build on its already storied uh, reputation, which is why Daniels got another uh, extension to his own contract recently, which will make him the second longest serving president that that university uh, has had. Um, I, I do think that... Um, Alumni, trustees, uh, and, and donors uh, have a role to play and should be conscious, uh, conscientious about that. It could be good or it could be bad. We have seen uh, donors who are actually sometimes making things a little bit worse when they discourage students from asserting their rights. Some donors uh, feel a strong attachment to the university and discourage Jewish students from doing anything that will cast a negative light on the university. Now, I get wanting to be loyal to your alma mater. And I understand the view that if um, a university gets a reputation for being bad for Jewish students, that Jewish parents won't want to send their kids there anymore. I get that also. But we can't be in the business of hiding what's happening um, uh, at these universities um, so that uh, universities don't have to deal with the problem and that parents will be uh, ignorant of it. So at a minimum, I think, 
that trustees and alumni uh, and donors need to avoid making things worse. But the fact is they can make it better. Uh, if you have a strong connection to a uh, university or college because you're a, uh, because you are an, an, an alumnus, because you give money, because you support in some ways, by all means, you should make your uh, voice heard. And I think that oftentimes this does have a, an impact when it's done for, for good. People are using their uh, influence in ways that are harmful. It's important for others to use their uh, influence in ways that are uh, just. Right. You know, in the same op-ed, you shared one of the most incredible stories uh, I've seen, uh, that of the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And apparently, the, this group published a condemnation, God forbids, of anti-Semitism, was subsequently criticized for it, which led to the Society's Executive Director's apology. And not just an apology, but this is very telling, to everyone in the Palestinian community, and this uh, apology and removal from office of the society's diversity chief, who was a black Jewish woman. That is one of the most astounding stories that you relate to. Again, something that made the news like a wave and suddenly dissipated. Can you tell us a little more about this case and where do we stand with it now? Well, it's, it's part of a pattern. You'll recall that at uh, Rutgers University, there was a senior official, uh, a president or chancellor who had made a statement uh, uh, criticizing anti-Semitism and then had to retract it. Uh, and then others at the university uh, uh, flip-flop uh, again. It should not be controversial to condemn uh, anti-Semitism, and yet it is. It, and yet it is, uh, even now, oftentimes on university campuses, uh, you will hear that Jews are privileged, uh, white, uh, and uh, should not be speaking out against their own problems, but instead uh, should be addressing only uh, discrimination against certain other minorities. There is a phenomenon called erasive anti-Semitism. Uh, when uh, uh, universities uh, or uh, progressive intellectuals or others uh, deny uh, that Jews have a separate and important identity and that what happens to them matters. And this is something that we have that we see over and over again. Uh, we, we see it in universities, uh, we see it in, in public life. And I think that uh, Jewish people need to stand up and say that uh, our, we're proud of our identity uh, and it matters just as much as anyone else's. And, and that you have done so much, Ken, and we're proud to stand by you and stand with you and next to you as we uh, take pride in our identity and fight for it. And this reality is, is quite unfathomable, especially when you look into, uh, for instance, what's been happening in the last few months with the anti-Asian hate and the kind of reactions you've seen across the board to this abominable phenomenon. And we ask ourselves, sometimes selfishly, but I can't help you know, to listen to that internal voice that says that I'm a little bit jealous of, of the Asian community to be able to bring such a consensus across the board for people to condemn it and to stand up against it. And whereas the anti-Semitism and anti-Jewish sentiment is always somehow diluted with so many other adjectives and nouns and phenomena as if our pain doesn't matter or matters less. Yeah, yeah. And of course, we should condemn the hatred against uh, either Asian uh, or Black or, or anyone else. And we should be proud of the efforts that we as a Jewish community take to protect uh, everybody else. Uh, but 
um, we need to look out for uh, Jewish students as we look out for other people. Um, on a number of, it used to be, um, um, I, I, I've had so many situations where I have been introduced to a Jewish audience uh, and uh, told that I would be speaking about anti-Semitism. And someone in the audience would inevitably ask the question, why are you just talking about anti-Semitism? Why aren't you talking about discrimination against other groups? And you know what? Over my career, I've spoken uh, to primarily black groups about anti-black racism. I've been uh, in Indian country talking about discrimination against Native Americans. Uh, I've spoken to Asian groups about anti-Asian discrimination and so on and so forth. I've never had that reaction from any other group. Um, the, no one in the, no Indian has said, well, why are you not talking about uh, Hispanics? Uh, other groups don't have that. And, and, and the fact that I see this so often in the Jewish community, and I've not yet experienced it with any other community, um, tells me two things. One, I think we should be proud that we have a community that is concerned about universal notions of justice and that wants to take our own pain and, and experiences and use it to help others. And I think that that is a beautiful thing. That is noble. On the other hand, sometimes we really need to focus on what's happening to our own children, our own families as well, because we can't assume that anyone else will do it if we do not. Very true. Um, Ken, we've spoken of the problem extensively, and I'm sure our viewers are, you know, admirable of your work and listen to you and know that you are, with your vast experience in the field across the board, has so much you can give. So let me ask you for solutions. What could and should be done on this persistent and recurring problem? What do you recommend and how can the general public, our viewers and anyone else be part of your struggle? Our right. struggle. Right now, I would say that our goal is to change the culture in higher education so that discrimination against Jews is treated as seriously as discrimination against any other group. And, and, and that administrators respond as forcefully to anti-Semitism as to any other form of uh, racism or bigotry. That is the goal and it should be it should be attainable. Uh, we would like to see it developed through policies and procedures and education and, and training. The single most important thing that universities can do right now is to adopt a standard, widely adopted definition of anti-Semitism so that when it happens, they don't get into constant debates about what this is. Is it anti-Semitic or not? That happens over and over again. And there is a definition that exists. It's called the IRA definition of anti-Semitism. It is the only internationally agreed upon definition of anti-Semitism. And as a first step, we would like to see major institutions, including colleges and universities, adopting the IRA definition. Right. Well, this is uh, in, in our audience and anybody who listens to this and listens to you and follows you on social media understands that this is something that, that they can partake in, in sending out such messages and reaching out to their alma maters and reaching out to general media and expressing their views and not being shy about the need to stand up and defend Jewish life and Jewish students on college campuses. Exactly. Um, in, in your role as part of the last administration, you did something unique 
Um, as, as much as you know, you've been combating anti-Semitism on college campuses all your life, but I want to relate, specifically relate to the executive order, which interpreted Judaism as a race and nationality, not just a religion, and for the purpose of allowing penalizing colleges and universities who may be shirking the responsibility to do more in this regard. So can you bring us up to date as where does it stand uh, as far as this executive order and the general issue as it relates to Jewish existence on campus and what the administration can and should do more in this regard? Sure, I'm glad you've asked. So the executive order on combating anti-Semitism does two things. First, it says that when you're interpreting civil rights laws that prohibit discrimination on the basis of race, color, or national origin, Jews should be given those same protections, even though Jews aren't necessarily usually considered to be a, a race or national, but Jews should get those same protections. And second, that the IRA definition should be used. That's the definition that I mentioned a moment ago, the standard internationally agreed upon definition of anti-Semitism, which includes examples relative to Israel, because we all know that anti-Semitism now Nowadays, often conceals itself as anti-Zionism. All of this should be used by federal civil rights agencies. It is still on the books. Now, if you look at the White House website, you will find that the executive order has been archived. That's because President Biden has archived all of the prior administration's executive orders. However, President Biden has only rescinded some of the executive orders, and he has not rescinded this one. So it's, it looks as if it might not be um, in effect, but President Biden has not rescinded this one, even though he's rescinded others. And in fact, it remains, it was published in the Federal Register. Uh, it has been incorporated into uh, US Department of Education guidance, which remains on the books. So it remains the law, it remains formal guidance the question is, will the education department take it as seriously as, as, as they should? That time will tell. However, what's interesting is that the Department of Education has announced that they plan to do some sort of formal rulemaking uh, about this issue. So there may be an opportunity to have public input, and there may be grounds for hope that the Biden administration will be forceful in protecting the rights of Jewish students. We just don't really have a full sense of it yet. It's still rather early in the administration. Right. And it's also, uh, if indeed such a, a guidance, a rule book, a creation of is gonna move forward, I sincerely hope that you and the center would be part of that uh, rulemaking with your vast experience in your various roles and in fighting anti-Semitism for the sake of our children on college and university campuses. Well, thank you. We've certainly been involved on this issue for many years and will continue to be. I'd like to thank you so much for joining us on JBS Can. I could sit and talk to you for hours and I hope to do so many times in the future. We stand with you in this important struggle to keep our people safe and to uphold, by the way, peace and justice for all. For what we fight for is equality and justice making that includes the Jews as well, right? Important point to remind. Amen. Thank pleasure you. speaking to you. Definitely a pleasure. Thank you. Indeed, there is much that we can and should do in the fight against anti-Semitism on college and university campuses. We can make our voices heard. Whether we have children going to school, grandchildren, or no children at all, we need to care about equal rights for Jews wherever they are. And the fact that even today we still have to be part of this struggle is very telling not just of where we stand today as a society, but also on what we must do as a Jewish people united in our struggle to be equal among the nations.
we should care and we should engage. The IHRA definition, and I urge all of you to look it up online, is one of the most important pillars of that fight. It encourages various institutions, government, and university administrations to adopt one single clear definition of what anti-Semitism is. And this definition has been widely accepted by so many countries, governments, nations, and organizations across the world in identifying the problem. And only through identifying the problem will we be able to avoid the quagmire of litigations when it comes to this issue. So we call upon all of us to do our share in caring for the Jewish people. I'd like to thank all of you for joining us today. And to all we say, stay safe, stay happy, and stay healthy in everything that you do. I'd like to thank our director, Sloan Copeland, JBS's managing director, Dara Golob, our technical manager, Michael Paley, transmission manager, John McDevitt, and to our wonderful producer of In the News, Carol Lilienthal. For JBS, I'm Shachar Azani. Until next time, shalom and lehitraot.